This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, to the Brian Kilmeade Show. You can see us on Fox Nation. You can listen to us on the podcast, iTunes, as well as iHeartRadio now, BrianKilmeadeShow.com. And hopefully you're listening right now. Uh, Lawrence Berggren will be with us. Uh, Berggren, I should say, historian and author of a book. I just got through. It's called Columbus, The Four Voyages. Why would I bring up a, uh, a biographer on Columbus? Because everybody in the country seems to want to take a statue down except Andrew Cuomo because he's Italian. Uh, what just happened in Baltimore? The war on history reigns, so he'll be on. And Colonel Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, an African American conservative, he's going to be talking about growing up in America during the segregated South, and also talk about Black Lives Matter, as well as America spiraling into a, a lawless big city nation and small city lawless nation. I cannot believe where we're heading right now and the issues we're going to be discussing. We'll do it all by taking your calls, too, at one 408 7669 And I'll be taking some calls. I'm going to give away two books an hour because so many people have come up to me and said, thank you for writing books about history because Americans are running from their history or embarrassed by their history who want to vilify our history. And between Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, George Washington's Secret Six, Andrew Jackson, the Miracle of New Orleans, and Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, and we have two young readers editions. I hope little by little people understand how important our history is. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Statues coming down around the country as America confronts its racist past. It's not destroying history. It's it's actually presenting the real history. Taking active and aggressive steps to actually make us better. Yeah, let's get better by destroying our past. Preserving our past is the real thing. Another Columbus statue comes down. Confederate statues about to get out of Statutory Hall, getting their walking papers from the Capitol. Why we must all fight to keep history alive. Number two. It's not a time to panic. It's not a high-risk disease for people under 70. It's certainly not a high-risk disease for people under 30 or 40 who almost all recover. Dr. Scott Atlas of Hoover Institute, coronavirus cases rise in America, but maybe just maybe we're focusing too much on cases and not enough on recoveries, not enough on hospitalizations and deaths. They're going down. Number one. We're protesting for months, uh, for weeks, saying Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, it seems like only when a police officer shoot a black person. What about all the black on black crime that's happening in the community? Thank you, John. Father of a, sadly, you're the grandfather of an 11 year old, Davon McNeil, who lost his life. He got killed. He was an aspiring football star, and he just wanted to go back to get a charger for his mom, and he was gunned down. 
Crime, kids, and delusion. The lawlessness and shootings from city to city are overwhelming. Any dialogue on race and more and more are costing innocent children their lives. will run through the horrifying stats and how one mayor is blaming it all on the virus. I can't keep it a secret. It's our, uh, actually two mayors, uh, Mayor Lightfoot and Mayor de Blasio. So let me just give you an idea how bad things are getting around the country. Uh, in New York, 130% increase in shootings over the last month. Uh, in terms of deaths, up 30%. Auto thefts up 51% uh, from 696. There were 462 last year. They were at 696. Burglaries up 118%. Tell me how that ha- that is about racial justice. And shootings, 2020, 205 shootings so far, 130% increase, as I told you. And that's not just New York. Everywhere you're seeing an increase. In Portland, protesters attacked police over the weekend, shooting bottle rockets and explosives at them, fireworks at them. And when they arrested some people they were able to catch up with, they found machetes on them. There's been 40 straight days of unrest. At least six children ages 6 to 14 were killed during the 4th of July weekend. Tell me if that's acceptable to you. I think most of the people listening to this show are great Americans, and you find that totally unacceptable. I imagine you're wondering how this happened. Could it be that you're emptying the prisons through bail reform? Could it be you're doing that through compassionate release on the coronavirus? Could it be that bail reform is allowing almost nobody who was arrested to actually be detained and judges are left out of the process? And could it be that cops have been defunded and demoralized and cut back? A perfect storm, self-inflicted perfect storm. This is no mother nature. This is not unlucky. This is all chosen. Here's more from that grandfather of Davon McNeil. Davon was killed. Cut eight. We're protesting for months, uh, for weeks, saying Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. And Black Lives Matter, it seemed like only when a police officer shoot a black person. What about all the black on black crime that's happening in the community? Do you understand? And I think people do. If you're in a working class area that sadly is a crime ridden, the be- your best friend are the cops because they're allowing you to go to work for your kids to come home and you have a semblance of, OK, they're going to be OK. And when they cut back cops, they don't say we're going to get them out of Midtown, the nice part of your town. What they do is they're going to cut them out of those bad areas. And then when you're going to tell cops you don't have any type of immunity, they're going to stay in the car. Excuse me, that's a little bit controversial. Don't think I'm going to go. I just reported today of an officer who was killed, 26-year-old officer with two boys, eight and six years old. Tunnel to Towers is taking care of their family's mortgage, but I'm, that's a, it's a great thing to do, but it's not nearly enough to, to make up for the loss of a dad. He's 26 years old. He gets a call about an intoxicated man uh, in a parking lot. So I guess those geniuses would send a social worker. What could go wrong? He's just drunk. He needs a social worker. He might even have an alcohol problem. Well, the guy, he gets approached. The guy wheels around and shoots him dead. But you know more about reforming cops and law enforcement. I'm sure. Meanwhile, let's talk about what else is happening. Brian Kemp is stepping up big time. The Republican governor of Georgia, and he has a Democratic mayor who happens to be a finalist to be Joe Joe Biden's VP. But she did not push back when the governor came out and said, because of the death of an eight-year-old girl and another uh, youngster yesterday, he has decided the Wendy's those uh, those Wendy's demonstrations in support of the man that was killed by a police officer when he resisted arrest. 
he decided to bring in the National Guard. So a thousand are now on duty away from their normal jobs serving back in their state as policemen. Peaceful protests, the governor writes, were hijacked by criminals with dangerous, destructive agendas. Now innocent Georgians are being targeted, shot and left for dead. The lawlessness must stop. I've declared a state of emergency and called up the Georgia National Guard because their safety of our citizens comes first. Why are they not doing that in Chicago? How could you possibly rationalize not doing that in Chicago? Mayor Lightfoot on the problem. She thinks she's got the problem down. And it's not the gangs. It's not the guns. It's not the cops. It's, well, let's listen. Cut one. President Trump is trying to execute on the 1968 strategy of Richard Nixon. And that is to make it seem as if the democratically controlled big cities are rabidly out of control and playing to the fears of a white suburban constituency, white rural constituency, to rally behind him as the law and order president. It's transparently political and, and candidly, it's laughable. Really? Uh, homicides are up 30 percent in Chicago. Who's laughing? Uh, your shootings were in triple figures at figures over the weekend. You're blaming Donald Trump when he talked about bringing the country together Friday and Saturday. I don't love his tweet. You didn't love his tweet, if you're being honest, about Bubba Wallace and the Confederate flag bringing back to NASCAR. Nobody did. But that has nothing to do with what's happening in Chicago. And this is not tough. You don't have to have a criminal justice degree to say, I think she's off base. I hope the people of Chicago, people of Illinois, the people in the Midwest are smart enough to know what's going on. Liberal mayors who want to blame other factors for their this their um, challenged areas are getting nothing but crime and the rising crime in return. So let's to keep it in the city. And let's try to get an explanation for the rising crime, the obscene rising crime in New York City. You know, that whole coronavirus thing, it's only bad if you're in a religious institution, if you happen to want to go to school or get together in a bar. But it's not bad if you're protesting destroying Manhattan. Can't be. So Mayor de Blasio thinks he knows what's wrong and why crime is rising. Hold on to something. And if you're driving, slow down. Cut three. I want to talk about what happened this weekend. You know, we had a lot of people out there very peacefully celebrating our nation's birthday and spending time together with family and friends. But we also saw too much violence this weekend. And this is something that we have a lot of work to do to address. And it's directly related to all the dislocation that's happened over these last four months with the coronavirus. You are lying or you're just the stupidest man in the world. Both could be true. Real quick, the New York Post editorial section today calls on him to do something. And let's look at some of them. Reverse the decision to shut down the NYPD's plainclothes anti-crime unit. Revise the chokehold law and the COVID compassion release that is Rikers Island, this infamous prison, half full. What do you think those other guys did? Sign up at NYU to go back to college or do you think they went to Columbia? Push the legislative fix for the no bail law. Unless you're a violent criminal, you're out the same day, so the arrests never happen. Stop ordering the NYPD to hold off on enforcing the law. City and because they did it multiple times, city leaders need to be clear. Uh, be clear. Resisting arrest and taunting police is unacceptable. They knocked it down to a misdemeanor in Virginia. Do you believe this? Resisting arrest, assaulting a cop. 
a misdemeanor. So when we get back to the other major issue, the, the war on our history, let's go back to Columbus with a man who knows him well. He wrote The Four Voyages. He's going to be with us next, and then Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, and then you. And I've got to have uh, two books to give away every hour. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. As many of you know from your own life experience. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. By going to fun. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. So people are frustrated with that. You know, if we keep talking, going about this the right way, and things are getting done going about it the right way, then what's left? He's the symbol of the beginning of the um, transatlantic slave trade. You know, he raped, he committed genocide, he's a mass murderer, he tortured. And that's the history that needs to be taught about him. And that is uh, somebody who doesn't believe that Columbus is a good guy and deserves a statue. His statue got tossed into uh, uh, the the uh, Bay in Baltimore, uh, Lawrence Burr Green over the weekend, by the way, is a historian, author of Columbus, The Four Voyages, 1492 to 1504. Lawrence, how much—great how, how, to see you. Well, great to hear from you. Lawrence, how long did you study Columbus? Well, about, uh, about six years, I guess. It's a huge subject. I'm still studying Columbus, So but about six years for the book. So what did he do great? <laughs> 
Well, he did you know, good and bad. What he did great was he was the best navigator or mariner of his day. And he sailed back and forth from Italy to Spain, rather, to the New World four times, losing almost no lives. Um, nobody had done that before. Nobody had been able to sail from Europe to the New World without loss of life before. Um, he, had, he discovered uh, countless islands and land masses in the New World, although he was uh, deceived the whole time. He thought he was on the outskirts of China. Um, he brought Christianity to the New World, uh, which is a very important fact. Um, and uh, he connected two previously, you know, disconnected civilizations with what we now call the Columbian Exchange, which involves good things and bad things. Good things like various kinds of foods, tomatoes and chocolate and so on, and bad things like germs um, and, uh, you know, the, the deadly practices. So, on the, and it was, you can't undo it. We're still living with the after effects or in the age of Columbus, if you will. You didn't intentionally spread. We just didn't have immunity for each other. No, he, came, he didn't know about, nobody knew about germs. Right. And nobody it, knew that he was carrying something that would be deadly to the indigenous peoples. And he never met anyone like this before, and they never met him. So we were, no, uh, the no. Western Europe was a much more advanced civilization than the one he was running into, Correct. <laughs> That's a complicated answer. The, yeah, if you don't think about it too much, you say yes. However, there's a famous essay by Michel de Montaigne, the French philosopher who lived a little bit later, comparing the relative, if you will, civility or savagery of the old world and the new. And, you know, who had more barbarous practices at that time? Not today, but at that time. He decided that uh, Europe had the more barbarous practices. They were more violent. There was more torture. Um, there seemed to be more unfairness in Europe than in the new world. And it was based on his interviews with some uh, Indians who had come to Europe. So, you know, so as, as I said, that's a complicated question. Right. I just don't know if they had an, uh, a Da Vinci and a Michelangelo at the same time you had Columbus <laughs> in Italy. Uh, I don't know if they oh. could rival that. Yeah, you, you raise a really interesting point, and that is they were what we call now pre-literate. So everything we think about them, we don't really know because we don't have it in their words. And you're right. They don't have a Da Vinci because they didn't have writing or, you know, uh, something similar to that. And uh, so we can just we have to impute things or guess things about them. So he was somebody who came upon another civilization, went back and forth. Uh, you four, four, uh, four voyages you chronicle in his book. Do the Italians yeah. have yeah. a reason to be pr- proud of him? Yeah, he's a very important because they see them, uh, you know, Columbus as the person who discovered America, although in reality he didn't know North America existed and was in Central America. And particularly at a time when Italians were coming here were subject to a great deal of prejudice, were often lynched, uh, couldn't get jobs and so on. Columbus became a source of pride. That's why we wound up having so many Columbus statues around the country and so many places named after him. Uh, it was a way of uh, kind of threading him into our national mythology or consciousness. Most of the world, a lot of the world thought the world was flat. And he was- Not at that time. Not by that time. And I'll tell you why. As you know, I don't know if you're a sailor, you've been on a boat, you see a ship slip below the horizon, you know, anytime you go out on the water. Well, that's what Columbus and everybody else saw. So the world was flat was something that was a few hundred years before. So he goes and he can't get uh, Italy to support him, which is now in Italy, but he goes to Spain and they finance it. Does Spain have a Uh, reason to be prideful of him? 
uh, yeah, Spain, you know, he was kind of a combination of things. Uh, Spain was much more interested in exploration. Uh, this was uh, uh, King Charles. Um, Columbus's wife was Portuguese. Uh, and, uh, you know, he came from a city-state in Genoa in Italy, so they weren't really big enough to, you know, handle a, a major expedition like this. So it was Spain that was leading the way in this closely followed by Portugal. But Portugal was very secretive. And there's actually a fair amount about what they did with exploration that we don't know about. The records were lost. Uh, so it's Spain that takes the lead. Did he Think commit, this as, did he commit sorry, genocide? Uh, you know, I think you have to, well, yes, but I want to put an asterisk after, after that, because it wasn't intentional. He did not set out from uh, Spain saying, oh, I'm going to go and kill as many people as I can, as many indigenous people. He was expecting to go on a, quote, Chinese trade mission with China, and he didn't know that the Pacific existed. Um, he bumped into this huge uh, middle American continent, thinking he was on the outskirts of China. Initially, he liked the people he encountered there. And then gradually, bit by bit, they got into pitched battles. Uh, you know, one thing led to another, led to another. And uh, it wasn't so much uh, Columbus killing people. It was his successors gotcha. who did. And uh, most of the people who died, just one more quick point, um, wasn't from Columbus's men killing them, but from germs, which nobody knew about. Wow. I say leave the statues up. Read your book is the other thing I recommend. It's called Columbus Four Voyages. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Lawrence Burgreen. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think in the cities, you have a lot of people uh, that just do not value life at this time. They they don't realize that when you uh, take a life, that life is not coming back. Uh, it's not like TV. You, you take a life and the guy shows back up on an, in another television show or another movie. It's not a video game. Uh, People feel that if they have a dispute, the only way to handle it is with gun violence. Unbelievable. Uh, I hope he's being sarcastic or facetious. John Ayala, grandfather of 11-year-old Davon McNeil, an 11-year-old superstar football player. Um, uh, John is a uh, one of the founders of the Guardian Angels chapter over in Atlanta. He was on this story last night. And he was talking about what's going on in the inner cities. And he is really upset in previous clips that we played on black on black crime. He feels like it's being ignored, as does Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Alan West is for the election, to, is now up in, in one week. Uh, we'll find out if he's going to be the Texas GOP chair. Uh, Colonel, welcome back. It's good to be with you, Brian. And, and what we see happen in our major urban population centers, you know, it comes back to the breakdown of the family. 
Uh, I was born in 1961 in a, in a blacks-only hospital in Atlanta, but I grew up in the old Fourth Ward neighborhood, which is the same neighborhood uh, that produced Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It was the birthplace of the Civil Rights Movement. But the difference was that when I was born in 61, even though being born in a segregated hospital, the two-parent household in the black community was almost 77%. Today, the two-parent household in the black community is 24%. And what really angers and upsets me and it should anger everyone out there when you go to the black lives matter um website one of the things that they stand against is the traditional two-parent nuclear family they say that's a representation of white supremacy and old western civilizational values but that is what made the inner city community strong when you had mothers and fathers in the home when you had a sense of uh respect for authority when you had individual responsibility but now, with that breakdown, the gangs have taken over, and, and the gun violence has just absolutely been, become astronomical. Five young black kids lost their life this past weekend in the United States of America, but yet you had people that were out there tearing down the statue of Frederick Douglass. This is insane. Yeah, over in Rochester, we still don't know who was behind it, but if you're doing that uh, and you're tearing down Abraham Lincoln— and you have a problem with Ulysses S. Grant, I don't even think you know what you're doing. Uh, you, you don't even, I mean, that's just taking down anything as a statue. You took down a saint in San Francisco, which I have no idea what that saint did, but usually saints tend to be better than average people. So the mayor of New York says it's about the coronavirus. In Chicago, the mayor says it's really Trump's uh, message of derision. Here's what the Chicago Police Department superintendent said, cut seven. We cannot allow this to be normalized in this city. We cannot get used to hearing about children being gunned down in Chicago every weekend. We must keep violent offenders in jail longer. We must. We should revamp the electronic monitoring program. It's clearly not working. So... Okay, so he wants to be tougher when it comes to criminal justice, and he is a police officer, and he's black, and he is upset, and no one ever talks about the black-on-black crime. If you bring up black-on-black crime, then then you don't want to discuss racial inequities in our country. It's almost, they say it's unfair. Well, the the thing is that they don't want to. And when I say they, like the mayor that you have there in Chicago, uh, groups like the NAACP, who right now today they're sitting down and arguing with Mark Zuckerberg about you know boycotting Facebook because of hate speech and and things of this nature. They're not talking about what's going on. Black Lives Matter. They're not talking about what's going on because they don't want to talk about the truth. The bottom line of what happened is happening in the United States of America is the failure of Lyndon. Johnson's Great Society programs. And I think that that's where we have to start looking at uh, when you created this major welfare nanny state and you decimated the the traditional two-parent black uh, family, then you see all the ills, all the things that now we are suffering the consequences from. And that's where we need to have the discussion. But instead, you have the mayor of Chicago trying to blame President Trump, you know, trying to say that, you know, this is about an ideological agenda. She's talking more so about gun control and things of this nature, because that's what the left wants to fall back on. They don't want to admit that the policies that you know they instituted in 1965 have led to this point where we are 55 years later. 
So the police commissioner who serves at the pleasure of the mayor knows if he speaks out, he's going to get fired. He should really quit. Dermot Shea gave a lot of people hope, but he's been forced to deal with a totally incompetent uh, liberal mayor who constantly calls him to make sure they don't overreact with the rest when it came to the protests and everything else. Here's Dermot Shea yesterday. Cut five. Look at the Rikers population of the last year. Ask a sane person. It's about half. And the, where is that other half right now? We've, we've transplanted general population to the streets of New York City. And, and, and it's extremely frustrating. What we need is support, and that's in short supply. That's about it. That's as aggressive as he got. I, I would do this if I'm him. And I don't want to, you know, it's easy for me to say that. I'm not, it's not his career. I'm not, it's not my career. But he's just got to come out and say the mayor's got to toughen up or else it's going to be a possible police to police. And he should just make the mayor the adversary that he is. And that's law enforcement. He'll have public sentiment on his side, don't you think? Yeah, I, I do think so. And it comes a time when we have to look at these law enforcement officers just the same as when you look at some of the leaders in our military and some of the policies that were coming down during the uh, Obama administration. Many people in the military and retired wondered why those senior leaders were not speaking up, not standing up. The exact same thing here with these police chiefs and, uh, and sheriffs. So I think that it is a very important time for our law enforcement leadership all across the United States of America to come to, together with one voice and say, you know, these are the things that need to be done. This is not about, you know, the, the uh, a piece of legislation being passed in the House and the Senate. We're down here on the ground. These are the policies that we need to have implemented. And we have mayors, we have elected officials that are against the rule of law and law and order, and they should not be in the positions that they're in. So the people have a choice, either support law enforcement, support the, the policies that can make sure that you're safe and secure, or allow these, you know, ideologues that call themselves elected officials to, you know, enhance the rule of the mob. Well, right now we're an interesting part, uh, a point in America where we're sobering up and saying the South lost the war. They wanted to keep uh, slavery, so let's get rid of the statues and statuary hall when it's up to each state to appoint two. They're not supposed to be judged or taken out by a speaker. It's not within her auspices to do that. As an African-American born in the South, how do you feel? Look, let me tell you something, Brian. Um, history is there, and, and again, you're, you're a great historian. History is there for us to learn from. Uh, it is there for us to study. So that, as George Santayana said, we, we learn from those, those things in history so we don't repeat it. But when we go down the path, who, who makes the decision about what statue stays? Who makes the decision about what you know, memorial stays? Who makes the decision about what movie we can see or what book we can read? And, and that's my fear is that we go down a very dangerous path and all of a sudden a group of, you know, ideologues start to decide. You, you know, again, I come back to this. When you tear down a statue of Frederick Douglass, a man that was born a slave, that, you know, became free, self-educated himself, became a counselor to a president, Abraham Lincoln. He was behind the Emancipation Proclamation. He was the man behind the very first black unit to serve in the Civil War, and that was the 54th Massachusetts. If you're tearing down his statue, if you're defacing the statue of the 54th Massachusetts Regiment, if you're tearing down the statue of Abraham Lincoln, this this does not make sense. This this does, is not consistent with studying and understanding history. No Confederate general 
ever did anything to keep me from, you know, becoming a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army or becoming a member of the United States House of Representatives. And so I don't understand who these people are right. that are going out here and, and making these decisions about what stays up and what should go down. I want you to see if you can get on board with this. This is a Democrat from Georgia, and he has an idea of what should change. Uh, Cut 13 is a state rep. But here's what they're not touching and not banning at all or changing the name. The Democratic Party. Wasn't it Democrats who opposed the freedom of slavery and wanted to keep slaves? Wasn't it the Democrats who started the Ku Klux Klan? Join me and others. Let's challenge the Democratic Party to have at their national convention the number one platform issue that they will disband and change the Democratic Party. It would no longer be called the Democratic Party. Why? Because it's associated with racism, bigotry, and the Confederacy. That's Vernon Jones. What's your reaction? Can you get behind that? (laughs) Well... You know, I know Vernon Jones, and you know, like I said, I was born and raised in Atlanta, and he, he's in that area. And funny enough, I mean, this is something that I wrote about on Sunday, and it was on my uh, my Facebook page and my website, The Old School Patriot, because again, if this is about white supremacy, racism, and the history thereof, then if you look at the history of the Democrat Party, then they should be abolished, they should be disbanded, they should be defunded, just the same as Planned Parenthood. Brian, Planned Parenthood is an organization that was founded by a woman. Margaret Sanger, who was an avowed white supremacist, a racist, spoke at Klan rallies. 71 to 72 percent of Planned Parenthood clinics are located in black communities. And since 1973, 20 million black babies, unborn black babies, have been murdered in the womb. But I don't hear anyone standing up and talking about Planned Parenthood. I don't hear anyone talking about tearing down monuments to Robert Ku Klux Klan Bird. And I think one thing that uh, Mr. Jones did not mention, the longest filibuster in U.S. Senate history were the Senate Democrats filibustering against the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Uh, Colonel, best of luck. Now, if people want to support your run uh, to chair the, the Texas GOP, what do they do? They go to west4texas.com, west4texas.com, and uh, that election will take place next week. I don't know if we will have an in-person convention down in Houston because of the concerns about the uh, Chinese coronavirus, but we will see what happens. All right, Colonel, best of luck. Thanks so much, Brian. You got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'm going to give away a couple of my books because it's all war on history. This is the pushback. Uh, and Pete has so much free time. He wants to start get, finding padded envelopes and mailing this out at work. Right, Pete? I was just saying goodbye to Colonel West. All right. That's nice. Uh, he is very polite. That's one thing about Pete. Back in a moment. Celebrating 10 years. Wait, has it really been that long? As usual, you've made it all about yourself. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, I do. I wrote George Washington's Secret Six, followed up by Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, then Andrew Jackson, the Miracle of New Orleans, and then another slice of our life, uh, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, and they all kind of link together. And now that we're in this war on history, I thought I'd give uh, give uh, some away every hour. 
And we also have the Young Readers Edition, if you rather choose that. If you're watching Fox Nation, I got the four books lined up. Um, I'll have the Young Readers Edition uh, out of my office. They're at my office on the 21st floor, so I'll have them tomorrow. Uh, so let me go to the phones. Derek in West Bridgewater, Massachusetts. Hey, Derek. Hey, Brian. Did I win a book? <laughs> well, first off, are you eligible? Did you get all my books already? You're so, you've been so loyal. No, I got none, but I'd love that one for my kids that you're going to have, have tomorrow. All right. All let's right. hear your point first. All right. My, my point is, is I think because of the coronavirus, on top of all the other financial problems that, you know, these far left states like California, New York, the first thing they do when they get into financial trouble is they want to, they say they're going to have to defund the police, defund the fire departments, and, you know, they come up with excuses to raise your taxes. I think this, you know, BLM mission to defund law enforcement could be part of their ploy to try to, you know, raise our taxes and bring more money in for their pet projects and, you know, whatever this social worker thing is. I think it's just a ploy to try to indoctrinate our youth in the end, you know, raise more of the uh, the mindless minions that got out on the streets that hate America. But I think that this defunding of the police has its its uh, roots potentially, potentially in the fact that they're they're, if they're bankrupt. These 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 uh, states like New York, they're so far behind hey, Derek, the eight ball as Derek, far as if money they, goes right now. But I know what you're saying, but if they, if they did that and they say, listen, the coronavirus brought our tax dollar tax base to its knees, we get it. We understand that. We understand that schools are going to be hurting, that roads are going to be not going to be repaired slower. Things are not going to go the same. We understand that. But they were going out so of their way create- to say they're defunding. And Gavin Newsom, to play to your point, Gavin Newsom came out and said, if you don't if we do not get money from the federal government, we're going to have to cut money out of the cops and firefighters. And that was supposed to rally people and, and pressure the federal government to help out cops and firefighters. Now that yet. changed. They haven't, cre- they haven't created enough pain yet. They've got to have the people suffering with crime. Then they'll be crying to raise the taxes to get the police back. All right, That's what book do you plan, want? I think. Uh, the one for the children. My, my kids would love to read it. All right, uh, so we'll, you, we'll give you the Washington tomorrow. book, uh, George Washington Spies. Uh, thanks so much, Derek. So hold on, we're going to get your address. Let's go out to Brian. Listen on WRCN. Brian. Hey, Brian. I got kids, too. Hey, listen, I don't know how we move forward to, to the other side. I don't know how we reach these people when when the, the news is, is able to claim that they're a news agency, but yet completely misinterpret it to their, to their listeners. I mean, these people, they don't, they don't you know, they this creation of, of this distrust and distaste in the orange man, it, it, it's evolved to a point where they, they don't want to even look at him. So they're not going to listen to his speech. They're not going to do it for themselves. They're not going to do their homework. Well, you're they not going to the converted. You're going to the independents. And the president won the independents last time, and he's got to go above 30 percent this time because that's where he's at, they say right now. But you know what they're doing, Brian? They're trying to take away his base. They're trying to say the military's fractured for him because his generals have quit. Um, and they're also trying to tell tell you that Clint Lorenz and others being uh, expelled from prison on his pardon, that that's alienating the, the foot soldiers. That's just not true. I don't think Wall Street wants him to lose because they're benefiting big time. So they're trying yeah. to put, make it seem like 60 percent of the Wall Streeters are betting on Biden. Nobody in the energy sector would ever go for Joe Biden. He hates coal. He hates natural gas. you got to be kidding. And I'll give you the best yeah. example. It's on Instagram. Barack Obama goes to Matt Rushmore. It's referred, they refer to Matt Rushmore as majestic, quite a sight. Donald Trump goes there, CNN refers to as a monument of two slave owners. 
What has changed? That's on Instagram right now. Brian, what book do you want? The, the children's one, Brian. I really appreciate it. Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates. We'll get it to him. Hold on. We'll get you the address. Brian on Long Island. Uh, we'll see if we can squeeze in another. Let's go out to Joplin. Jeff, KZRG. Jeff. Hey, Brian. How are you doing this morning? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, I just wanted to mention a few things. You know, there is not a single person that's alive today that was ever a slave yep. or that was ever a slave owner. And how they can say that there's systemic uh, racism going on when there are so many successful people of color in this uh, in the United States today and all over the world. I mean, it, I, I travel the world. I do work for U.S. embassies, and I don't. Uh, I, I see racism in every place that I go, but it, it seems like they're saying the only racism is here in the United States. And yes, we have some problems. I understand that, but tearing down statues and erasing our history is not the answer. What they need to be doing is teaching these things better in the schools. My daughter learned a whole lot about Harriet Tubman and right. Rosa Parks. And Jeff, do you want to hold that? Can I get you a book? Uh, absolutely. All right, I'll send you out to Washington. Jeff, hold on. We'll get you uh, We'll get your address. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show from New York City, but heard around the country and maybe around the world. David Bernhardt's got to be joining us. Uh, he is the Secretary of the Interior. If you're like me, you're extremely disturbed by the attack on our history, uh, the attack on plaques and monuments and statues. It's up to him to secure it, along with Homeland Security Secretary Dave Bernhardt. Be here live. Then we'll do a simulcast on Barney and Company uh, with the great Stuart Barney. We'll talk about everything that's under the sun, including the Redskins possibly changing their name and i gotta urge you if you ever missed the show go to briankillmeatshow.com or itunes or radio.com you can catch it if you have to travel and leave our local affiliate or if you want to get the podcast you can get it just about everywhere now i'm also going to be giving away two books an hour because it's my way of giving back to people who are passionate about history i'll sign them and send them and you're like me you're really concerned that no one's learning about history when the president said in his speech I said, wow, it's in the curriculum. The Department of Education can't really handle the curriculum. So what do you do? Let's start fighting back. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Statues coming down around the country as America confronts its racist past. It's not destroying history. It's, it's actually presenting the real history. And taking active and aggressive steps to actually make us better. Uh, there you go. Uh, preserving our past. Another Columbus statue comes down. Confederate statues about to get their walking papers. When and how does it all end? Frederick Douglass destroyed in Rochester, New York. Why we must fight to keep history alive. Number two. It's not a time to panic. It's not a high-risk disease for people under 70. It's certainly not a high-risk disease for people under 30 or 40 who almost all recover. Uh, that is Dr. Scott Atlas. The coronavirus cases rise in America, but maybe, just maybe, we're focusing too much on cases and not enough on recoveries. Regardless, I'll tell you why schools and a forgotten industry must reopen, called gyms. Number one. We're protesting for months 
uh, for weeks saying Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. If Black Lives Matter, it seemed like only when a police officer shoot a black person. What about all the black on black crime that's happening in the community? John Ayala, grandfather of an 11-year-old, Davon McNeil, who tragically was killed by a crossfire when he went to pick up his, his phone. Crime kids in delusion. The lawlessness and shootings from city to city are overwhelming any dialogue on race and more uh, and are costing innocent children their lives. We'll run through the horrifying stats and how one mayor is blaming it on the virus. And I do want to get to the uh, the other thing, and that is the coronavirus this hour. But despite the fact that so many kids uh, were killed over the weekend, we have all this uh, death and destruction in our inner cities. And people want to blame cops. Well, right now, for the last few weeks, cops have just been backed off. And they backed out. We've been told they need to be cut out. In Minneapolis, they need to change. In Portland, 40 straight days of unrest. When they started making arrests, they found machetes on these would-be attackers. But city by city, big city and small city, there is violence. So bad it is in Atlanta that Governor Brian Kemp has declared a state of emergency and dispatched 1,000 National Guards members. 1,000. He said what we all know. The peaceful protests were hijacked by criminals with a dangerous, destructive agenda. Now innocent Georgians are being targeted. Innocent Georgians, yeah, like a 7-year-old and now like an 11-year-old yesterday. A black child shot and killed uh, after, get this, their mom threw an anti-violence cookout to get people to stop killing each other. When he went back, the 11-year-old, to grab her phone charger He got caught in the crossfire. He's dead. How senseless. I mean, the utter definition of senseless. How do you make sense of that? The grandfather came out and said, John Ayala, you got to be kidding me. Cut nine. We can't take money from the police department. We need the police. You take the police from there and we wind up having less police officers in the street, less detectives. It's not going to work. The crime is going to get worse. Uh, you need police to run those calls. So you start having less police officers. Who are going to come when there is a need for police services? But what I will say, we have to find money for the additional services that everybody would like to have. There are all calls that come into the police department that should not go to the police. Well, uh, that's Atlanta, and it's bad. But they have not dispatched the National Guard in New York. The governor could do it. Uh, He doesn't speak to the mayor. They're in the same party. Uh, They have a Democrat in Atlanta. They have a Republican governor, and still they were able to work that out. But no good, no go. Yeah, murders were up 100, shootings were up 130% in New York. 130%. Uh, Citywide, auto thefts are up 51%. Citywide, the number of burglaries are up 118%. I mean, this is a catastrophe. It has the front page of the New, New York Post offering suggestions on what the mayor has to do yesterday. And the mayor wants to blame, get this, the coronavirus, because people have been pent up. And you want to blame the courts, because courts have been backed up. That is not true. Neither one is true. NYPD Chief Terrence Monahan cut six. It's a combination of things. Uh, bail reform, COVID releases from prison, court shutdown, which is, has Rikers at uh, half of where they were last year with a population. You know, I've said this before, the animosity towards police out there is tremendous. Uh, You know, just about everyone we deal with is looking to fight a police officer. 
when we go to make an arrest. It is so vital that we get our communities coming together, supporting our cops, speaking up for the police officers that are out there. And morale is low. So this has got to change when you get new leadership in there and you get commissioners who are empowered by the people to bring security to their lives and do it in a responsible way. You still do Tim Scott's law enforcement reform. You still do some things in Washington, but at the same time, you use new tactics, but enforce the law. Next, the coronavirus. Numbers are going up. Serious situation. Anthony Fauci, serious situation. We see it in we see it in Georgia slightly. We see it in Virginia slightly, but we see it a lot in Arizona, Florida, and Texas. Anthony Fauci, cut nineteen. The current state is really not good, in the sense that, as you know, we had been we are still knee deep in the first wave of this, and I would say this would not be considered a wave. It was a, a surge or a resurgence of infections Mm -hmm. superimposed Mm -hmm. upon a baseline, Francis, that really never got, we went up, never came down to baseline, and now we're surging back up. So it's a serious situation that we have to address immediately. Well, I mean, we have a few situations where uh, most of the people, thankfully, are young, 34 and 30. And if you don't have underlying conditions and are under 70, you have a 99.6% chance of survival. So people are either asymptomatic or barely feeling anything and are able to recover within two weeks and be back in action. I don't think that's any way to grind a country to a halt while at the same time being responsible with the virus. Dr. Scott Atlas caught my attention yesterday. He was a, he's a mid-senior fellow with Hoover Institute, and he said this, cut 26. When we see this focus on more cases, it doesn't really matter how many cases. It only matters who gets the cases, because we know the infection fatality rate for people under 70 is 0.04% on the latest analysis. That's less than or equal to seasonal flu. It only matters if we cannot protect the high-risk people, which we are protecting. We're protecting. How do I know? Because the death rates are not going up. I'm, I'm actually, we realize we have to wait to have the story play out here. But right now, the cases have been going up for three weeks. We have no increase. In fact, we have a decrease in death rates. So, you know, it it doesn't matter if you get the illness, if you're going to fully recover and be fine from it. And that is what people must understand. So what they did is they cut back in Miami. They shut down restaurants and gyms again. They did some of the same thing in in in-house dining, I believe, in parts of Florida. And the numbers are starting to tick down slightly. Now, for those people who say, okay, I got the pattern, nobody was harder outside China than Israel. The numbers are going up in Israel. God, it looked, they look kind of fractured and disjointed outside Germany in Europe. But Europe's almost wholeheartedly, holistically, all going down. And then you have a situation where New York is starting to open up again. But the cases aren't rising. Here's what Governor Cuomo said of New York. Cut 25. Since we started reopening which was May 15th, we started our phased reopenings. The numbers have actually declined since we started reopening. Every expert warned us on the reopening that you could see the numbers start to go up, right? Because you were increasing activity. But they're not. I think the virus has got to vote. The virus is moving south. 
and the, you know beat the hell out of New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut and Massachusetts, but the numbers are going the right direction right now. But I don't think there is. We know everything there is to know, and I believe that if Joe Biden was president, all they'd be talking about is how the death number is down in proportion. They would not be talking about this. And Joe Biden saying, I'm going to give my government to the scientists is nuts. That's like saying I'm going to give the entire government to the State Department. No, the State Department's got a role. The Department of Interior has a role. You know, the National Security Advisor is advising. You have domestic, you have foreign, you got scientists, you have environmentalists. You don't listen to you listen to all of them and make a decision. Don't turn the government over to them. That would be a huge mistake, I believe. So we'll talk about that in the war on monuments at the bottom of the hour with the Secretary of the Interior, find out what they plan on doing. Do they actually have a master chart of all these monuments that they can actually govern? And are they ever going to get to the bottom of who took out Frederick Douglass's statue on July 4th where he gave a historic speech in the 1850s? When we come back, I'm going to get to your calls. I'm going to give a couple of books away to the callers just to show you I'm engaged with your concerns. So many write me and say my kids don't learn history. I got two uh, young readers books, Thomas Jefferson, The Tripoli Pirates, and George Washington's Secret Six. Yeah, that's called George Washington's Spies. And I have the other adult books, uh, too. Adult in like mature. one 866 Your call's next. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Got a few minutes here at the bottom of the hour, the Secretary of the Interior. Uh, but a lot to go over now. I don't know if you're concerned about the coronavirus and the war in history at the same time. But it's interesting about the coronavirus. Now that it turns out that the, uh, the WHO is admitting that they first picked up story. They picked up, I guess, that there was something going on in December within, in Wuhan, in China, with the coronavirus. They didn't pick it up because China turned it over. They picked it up on some news reports and reports of uh, unrest and people getting sick. I mean, how unbelievable is that? So the WHO is not even who covered for China for all this time is now admitting that they first learned of the coronavirus from the internet, not Chinese officials. The credibility of the organization and China, by the way, comes out. I mean, if you ask me, they should tell China, you got one week to let us in there, full access to open up all your books, or immediately we hit you with sanctions and I'll unite the world against you, which we should have been doing anyway. Matt, listen, W-A-U-B in Auburn, New York. Matt. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Good. Um, a few weeks ago, you made a great line when all this crazy stuff started happening. You said, where are the teachers at? And I just want you to know, as a teacher, I'm a teacher, and uh, there's no doubt about it that education, both at the secondary and uh, higher level, are, are dominated by left-leaning folks. But there are teachers out there that we are fighting the fight when we talk about history. You know, we can't talk about Confederate statues taken down. We can do it in a respectful manner. We can talk about it. But there are teachers out there like myself who are, are in the classroom, and we will fight this fight that you're talking about every day. What, what courses? I teach American history for 11th grade. And uh, 12th grade government class. Do they mess with your State. curriculum or you just have to go to a regents? We have to go to a regents. 
um, my high school is pretty good that we get some flexibility. We have some great administrators, and uh, they let the teachers teach. Uh, but there's no doubt about it. The overall curriculum uh, put out in New York is kind of a, a left-leaning curriculum. That's that's not debatable. Um, but there's no way I'm let history. You know, George Washington was a great man. Your book, Andrew Jackson, talk about Andrew Jackson all the time. Great leader, uh, great president, did some great things, great general. And, and that stuff will never be forgotten about in my classroom. 11th grade is a huge year uh, for history. Matt, hold on. And what book could I get you to send you? Um, the, the Secret Six with George Washington from the kid version. I have uh, two young uh, kids, and uh, they would love to be able to read that. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll sign it and send it to you. So, Matt, hold on. We'll get your address. And thanks so much for teaching history. Uh, Faucio, listening online in Toronto. Hello? Hey, what's on your mind? Is this Jimmy? Yeah, you on, are you okay? Are you talking to me? I can't. All right, oh, next. Yeah, I'm going to move on. Andrew, listening on KNTR, KNTR in Arizona. Hey, Andrew. How's it going this morning? Good. Good. I got a thing going on. I, I have three children right now, and my wife is pregnant. My oldest is in high school. My youngest are toddlers right now. I know for a fact right now with what my daughter's been learning in high school, they're just erasing history out of the books left and right. Have you seen Compared her tests or you seen her homework? You seen your her essays? I've seen her essays. Uh the recent essay she did before the end of the school year was the whole Soleimani thing. They were pretty much making it seem as Soleimani was a saint oh. and that was wrong that he died. Did you did you try to counter educate her? Oh of course I did. <laughs> that oh. guy was a uh, he was below the worst of the worst. And they still haven't recovered from his Hitler. loss. They still have not recovered from no. his loss. He was a way, he had a way of, of linking all the terror networks together, and they had one thing in common. They were all scared of him. He was more yeah. powerful than the Grand Ayatollah. He was a bad, bad, bad man, that's for sure, and we did the right thing going after him, taking him out. All right, Andrew. Uh, uh, my daughter goes along with, she understands where I'm coming from, and she asks questions. She didn't get a good grade on the paper because <laughs> uh, she supported what Trump did. Well, she did the right thing. Terry, listen, WSKY in Gainesville. Terry. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brian, I really love your show, and I love how you love history and, and document everything and, and do your homework. But what's driving me crazy right now is the renaming of everything that's taking place. Like, when did our this, – is this the generation of insulted people? Yeah. I mean, I don't see everybody – protesting in front of Cracker Barrel because it's called Cracker or LGBTQ protesting Dairy Queen or renaming the Queer Eye Show. I mean, if I was to turn around and protest the BET channel or NAACP awards, I'd be called racist. I mean, where, where does it end? Well, I don't know where it ends, but the president totally nailed it when he said two years ago, what's next, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and they laughed at him. They're coming for both. It's, it's crazy. I, I just want you to keep up, keep doing the thing you do, and, and I really wish more people were like you that do their research and, and love history like you do. And by the way, Fox News, I got 24 now uh, features up there. So if you want quick 30-minute documentaries, I think they're uh, viewer-friendly. So we're not going to get it. It's not going to be for the Harvard professors, for the everyday listener and viewer. So I think if you your kids might like that. Uh, Terry, hold on, and Pete will uh, take, tell me what book you want, and I can sign it over to you. Uh, if you if you if you're not one of the callers today that I'm able to select or send to, you go to BrianKillMe.com. I'll send you anything 
uh, I could send you. You could just purchase. It comes right to my local bookstore. I go in there. I'm able to personalize it, especially if I have a birthday coming up or a graduation. When we come back, David Bernhardt, how do we protect our statues, our monuments, our history? It's up to him to do it. We'll find out how he's going about it next on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We will never allow an angry mob to tear down our statues, erase our history, indoctrinate our children, or trample on our freedoms. We will safeguard our values, traditions, customs, and beliefs. And we will defend, protect, and preserve American way of life, which began in 1492 when Columbus discovered America. Uh, that's the president of the United States over the weekend talking at, uh, about the reason why we want to preserve our history, not because people are perfect, but because they help Ameri- make America a more perfect place. David Bernhardt's with us now. He's the secretary of the interior for the president's administration, 53rd secretary of the interior overall. Uh, Ms. Secretary, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade radio show. I've seen you in person. You helped me out on Fox Nation with my World War II memorial uh, shoot. Great to see you. Great to hear from you. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So, David, what did the president tell you about what you what your what your mission is now when it comes to our monuments and memorials? Well, you know, the president um, late uh, last week established the task force for rebuilding and building uh, monuments to America's heroes, and you know, the president recognizes that we owe our greatness to uh, those who've made past sacrifices. And statues can serve as silent teachers, preserving the memory of our uh, American greatness. And they also can stir in us a spirit of responsibility and unity. And um, they often express our noblest ideas. I mean, you you have walked with me on the World War II Memorial and, and felt the freedom of uh, you know the, the appreciation of freedom and the sacrifice made, and these this um, garden um, of heroes could really help us strive for a more perfect union. And so, I think the president is really responding very forcefully um, after witnessing a campaign um, that really is intended to wipe out our history, defame our heroes, and erase our values. And he's saying, "Enough, we are." You know, our founders launched not only a uh, revolution in government, but a revolution in the pursuit of justice, equality, right. liberty, and prosperity. And just like you, and, and uh, just frankly like John Adams, the president loves this country uh, and believes that it should be, um, its, its greatnesses should be celebrated um, to drive us towards a greater unity and, you know, greater um accomplishment on new frontiers and that that's really what his message is but david do you have an overall chart of the federal government's responsibility when it comes to these uh historical memorials how many different spots do you have to cover how many different uh structures well we have a lot of structures uh, a lot of facilities 
and just like um, you know, state and local governments also have many uh, of these facilities. And the reality is, throughout since the very beginning of the founding of the republic, at various times, uh, people have gotten together and carefully placed uh, these memorials or monuments on state or federal property. And really, these monuments belong, you know, um, not just to the present generation. We're the guardians for them and for the future generations. And also, um, you know, they were placed here by people who thought they mattered uh, at the time, and we just simply cannot have their destruction. So we have been very aggressive and forceful of asking for additional law enforcement support, complementing our own law enforcement officers, and um, we are going after those that um, destroy these and utilize self-help. And as a matter of fact, uh, late last week, we captured a ringleader of one of these um, enterprises and you know these are people that um you know they're obviously innocent until proven guilty but uh, they show pretty good on the video cameras and um and they um they simply want to take everything down um uh, we've had uh the monument of gandhi vandalized and you know when when it's gandhi abraham lincoln thomas jefferson the world war ii you have to say to yourself this is this is so completely inappropriate and un-American. And I think the president, by setting this up, uh, this task force where he's tasked us to go out and develop this uh, site and put these wonderful statues of American heroes, is he's saying, look, there's so much greatness in America. Let's, uh, let's move to a positive of um, providing um, a variety of, of figures and statues that can inspire all of us, irrespective right. of race, creed, or religion. But uh, it doesn't seem to be the sentiment right now in America that somehow George Floyd's death means take down everything that's to do with America if someone has a flaw. Uh, Demetrius Coles of Waterbury, Connecticut, who's one of the many protesters, uh, he's protesting Columbus, cut 34. So people are frustrated with that. You know, if we keep talking, going about this the right way, and things aren't getting done going about it the right way, then what's left? He's the symbol of the beginning of the um, transatlantic slave trade. You know, he raped, he committed genocide, he's a mass murderer, he tortured. And that's the history that needs to be taught about him. That, so that's what one protester's view, which is why Columbus statues uh, went into the bay in Baltimore. Uh, they want to take Columbus off Columbus, Ohio. What's your reaction to this? Well, I'd say with um, great pride, the United States is the most just and exceptional nation that has ever existed. That's unequivocal. And if people want to have a public debate about tearing down all of our, our structures, I say let's have it because the battle of ideas should win. But you don't get exercise health help. You don't get to take these carefully placed carefully deliberated monuments and, and push them over. That's not the way it works. Have the battle of ideas, because I am convinced what you will find is the vast majority of Americans are proud of America. They want to be inspired by America, and they will continue to be inspired to American greatness. And people like that should probably, um, you know, um, spend a little more time reading the history books, uh, getting, getting a uh, understanding of the ideals that found us, um, I'd say start with the Federalist Papers. That would be my advice to that person. Hey, so how was uh, on, how would you describe Mount Rushmore Friday with the president? That backdrop, um, unbelievable! It was the most amazing. It was the most amazing um, 
thing I've gotten to witness. And let me tell you um, in two categories that first off, the backdrop, the speech was unifying and the president's speech was, was phenomenal. The, the fireworks were phenomenal. But what was really phenomenal, Brian, and you can appreciate because you've been to Rushmore. Yep. The, um, the audience the audience was so excited to see their fireworks returning. Um, and, and it was amazing to me. They, there was just a packed amphitheater of happiness. When I went to leave the stage, I looked back, and I could not see a single person without a grin. And I just sat there and thought, they, they are so proud of their state. They are so proud of their state. They are so proud of America. And they were so relieved to have these return after a decade, and it was it was magnificent. The, the, the president's speech was great. The fireworks were exceptional, and the memorial and and the monument had never looked better. It was perfect. Yeah, uh, and I look good for television too. Not everybody was happy. <laughs> Listen to some of these reports on the other channels. President Trump will be at uh, Mount Rushmore, where he'll be standing in front of a monument of two slave owners and on land wrestled away from Native Americans. And it keeps going. And now they have four white guys right carved right into the, the mountain. One of them being uh, Abraham Lincoln, who still holds the record for, you know, hanging the most indigenous people in a single day. It's I, I, not as easy. So while you're taking in the show, this is what's hit over the airwaves. Well, that's outrageous. I mean, let's let's remember, and the president even said this in his speech, that before these figures were immortalized in stone, they were giants in full flesh and blood. These are gallant individuals who unleashed the greatest of, you know, leap of thinking in human um, advancement, and and to to state those things and not. Um, state the great ideals and philosophies that inspire us is incredible. I mean, to this day, I walk into the Jefferson uh, Memorial and I look at the etchings uh, on the inside of the memorial um, with things like the Declaration of Independence, which he um, was the principal drafter. And I think, how in the world did these men, as just individuals, accomplish this greatness? And, you know, I. It's just inspiring, inspiring to all of us. So it's outrageous. David, David Bernhardt, thanks so much. Uh, Secretary of the Interior, appreciate you joining us. Thanks a lot, Brian. You got it. Uh, meanwhile, when we come back, Stuart Varney, we do a simulcast on FBN. You'll finally see what I look like. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here, 1 866 408 7669. I'm going to be with Stuart Varney shortly, the number one show on Fox Business Network. Um, he's, I think he might not be in today. I know it's his birthday because he usually, I usually get him a gift and he usually wants cash because he's a business guy. Likes to spend his money uh, the the right way. Uh, we're going to be talking about a few things. Then I'm going to get to some of your calls. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Looks like baseball. We're going to talk a little sports. Uh, looks like baseball is ready to start. They're having a problem. 
They're having a problem with testing. Guys, get the testing in. You've had six months. Get it all in there. Get it going. A lot of guys just want to be understood that they don't have anything besides a fever. Uh, and uh, they could do the temperature thing, but they got to get the testing thing. They need something like 14,000 tests. Uh, and then we're going to just talk about American pride. The other thing I'm going to talk about is the Redskins' name over in Washington. You know they got the Major League Baseball has uh, their national champion, has their World Series champion in the Nationals. So they're getting set to go to their stadium. They're in their stadium right now practicing. But everyone's talking about the Redskins because all this pressure now to turn up on the Redskins because uh, the name Redskins is insulting to some. So let's listen in. Joining us now live on the radio is Brian Kilmeade, host of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Normally he hears Stuart Varney at this time, but Stuart's not in today. It's his birthday, by the way. So happy birthday to him. Brian, let's uh, move on. I want to say that the president has been weighing in on the idea that some pro teams may be changing their names, tweeting this. If we can move the prompter, they say teams out of, they name the team, says the president, out of strength, not weakness. But now the Washington Redskins and Cleveland Indians, two fabled sports franchises, look look like they are going to be changing their names in order to be politically correct. At least that's the president's take on all of this. The question is, Brian, is Mr. Trump right? Are these teams just caving to pressure? Or, on the other hand, is it time to change these names? What say you? Both. I, I you know, mm. here's Nike and FedEx. You guys would displace perfect to your audience. FedEx says, yeah. I need the name off the, uh, off the stadium if you don't change the name Redskins. If you do not put uh, mm. get Redskins off your nickname, I'm leaving with money. You know, as money drives your channel. And then you have mm. Nike say, we're not going to be selling Redskins paraphernalia at all, so you're not going to be able to buy anything to say Redskins. And merchandising have so much to do with the success of these teams. That's why they play international games. They want to create yeah. a market. So they're basically saying, get Redskins off there. Now, what I have done in the past is you talk to the different American Indian tribes. Most of them didn't have a problem with the name Redskins. So I just mm. see no way the Redskins can hold on to that name. They said they're studying it. And now you have on top of that, Daniel Snyder has, uh, is the majority owner. 40% is owned by others. And the 40% owners, the minority owners, are leaving the team. They said they don't like work with yeah. Daniel Snyder, as well as this controversy with the name. Mm. So the Redskins uh, are in turmoil off the field before they even get on the field. I don't see any way in which that name lasts the year. And I think there's a lot of pressure from the league itself to move it. In terms of the Braves in Atlanta, they say we're leaving it. I wonder how much pressure is going to be on the Chiefs. To me, the Chiefs, it's yeah. like being the captains of the generals. I mean, what's the problem? If you, don't you want the yeah. American Indian name to be at all part of a, the, the vernacular, the culture at all? Do you just want it eliminated? Yeah. I, I know you don't want it insulted. But Warriors, could that be going next? And Indians, as in Cleveland Indians, yeah, they think they're going to move it. Yeah, it's, it, it's, you know, where does it stop, I guess, is the question Black there. Hawks? I want to move on, Brian. You, you, right. I mean, you know, I forget how many there are, but you're right. Where does it stop? Um, I want to move on to this. You've been traveling across America visiting historical monuments in your Fox Nation show, What Made America Great, which is great, by the way. It's really interesting. Thank you. Uh, but this, a new Gallup poll shows that 70% of Americans are proud of the country. That's the good news. But... 
Only 45% of Americans say they are very proud, which I find really interesting. That is a record low, by the way. What do you make of it? I just think I'm surprised even you got 70% that, that like America. I mean, if you see all the negativity uh. you see on television, if you go watch CNN International, you would think this is the worst country on the planet. Everybody wants to get here. People that know give this, the, we're the land of opportunity, that still stands. But because we're here, we're taking it for granted. And because it's jammed down our throat that uh, Thomas Jefferson had slaves. Benjamin Franklin didn't. Mm. Uh, John Adams. So we're left. We're going to left with three statues: uh, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, and Alexander Hamilton. The rest, part of America's past, is these are checkered. These are not perfect figures. Henry Ford didn't seem to be too. Uh, uh, seemed to have an anti-Semitic streak. You look back at. Uh, he also took an award from Hitler. I'm not sure uh, what he did. I think it is, uh, oh. his entrepreneurial skill in the 1930s. I don't think that's a positive. Should we all abandon Fords? Thomas Edison, I don't know. Did he have yeah. some problems? I heard he had a quick temper. So I'm wondering <laughs> when it was all said and done, are we going to look back and say, man, I'm so proud to be part of a country where Steve Jobs was here. But I heard Steve Jobs was not a great family man. I heard he didn't treat his employees very yeah. well. You know, I, I'm, we're proud of Eli Musk. But maybe you're not proud of how he asked on Joe Rogan's podcast. So I guess we should give up on Tesla and we shouldn't even get we should have those astronauts call the Russians for a ride home. So how could we possibly live up to this standard? Look at what they did in greatness. Understand they're fallible and then look in the mirror and say, oops, I forgot. I have weaknesses, too. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely well said. I'm sure we're hearing a lot of that on your radio show. We're out of time, Brian Kilmeade. Why is I could it? talk to you forever. Very, very good. I would say see you in the hallway, but I'm not going to see you in the hallway because we're still in our, in our own home working area. No, so I'll see I'm you in soon, New York, Brian. baby. I'm in New York. Good for you. All right. I'm at 1211 6th Avenue uh, taking all visitors. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Let's try to get in a few calls. It, the listening on WABC is Norm in Brooklyn. Norm. Hey, Brian. How's it going? Good. What's on your mind, Norm? No, I just wanted to get some feedback off you because I have a two-year-old, and you know, I want to set him up right. Uh, so we just want to see what your recommendations are as far as kids' books for, to learn American history. You know, I want him to you know, acknowledge the good but learn from the bad Absolutely. and the ugly that we do have. Absolutely. So I got to recommend uh, Brad Meltzer's books and uh, Pat Williams has books. And I got two young reader editions, but Brad Meltzer, look up these books. I am Harriet Tubman. I, you know, I am, uh, I am, um, I am Neil Armstrong. He has all these books that are so interesting and so to the point, 100% accurate. He's a historian. When he realized his kids knew nothing about history, he took action. And then you have Pat Williams did the same thing. as I'm, uh, does, You looked at Walt Disney and other great American figures. And then we have, I have Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, and George Washington Spies. So I think they'd enjoy. In fact, over in Brooklyn, uh, Pete, I hope you don't mind. Let's get, uh, let's get Norm's name, and we'll send it over to Brooklyn. Uh, Thomas Jefferson and the Tripoli Pirates. Find out how we took on uh, the war on terror. Thanks so much for listening. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice.
Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening to Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined by Dana Perino. I've met her in person. She seems nice. She'll be on at 2 o'clock and then, of course, on the 5. And we'll talk about the presidential politics there. And coming up in 12 minutes, Congressman Lee Zeldin of New York, of Long Island. Of New York, of course. But uh, Suffolk County, where he presides, zero deaths. So we're making some progress. Three straight days, zero deaths. But we can't open up a gym. Why is that? Don't people understand that gyms benefit people and that gyms are the most disciplined, uh, often run by the most disciplined people on the planet, hence what they do for a living? And if you tell them to use antiseptic to rope off a, an elliptical or a treadmill, they know how to do it and to be proficient. We don't know. We'll find out about that. And in the war in history, we're pushing back the way we know how. And uh, I was lucky enough to write four uh, best-selling history books, two of which are young reader editions. And when you call, if you're right to the point, if you add to the show, you don't have to agree with me. We'll get you a book of your choice. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three statues coming down around the country as America confronts its racist past. It's not destroying history. It's it's actually presenting the real history. Taking active and aggressive steps to actually make us better. Yeah, let's try to do that and not fight our own past, preserving our past. Another Columbus statue comes down. Confederate statues giving their walking papers at Statutory Hall. When and how does it all end? Why was, Why we must all fight to keep history alive? Number two. It's not a time to panic. It's not a high-risk disease for people under 70. It's certainly not a high-risk disease for people under 30 or 40 who almost all recover. Uh, That is Dr. Scott Atlas. Coronavirus cases rise in America. But maybe, just maybe, we're focusing too much on cases and not enough on outcomes. Regardless, I'll tell you why schools and a forgotten industry, gyms, must reopen. Number one. We're protesting for months, uh, for weeks, saying Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, it seems like only when a police officer shoot a black person. What about all the black-on-black crime that's happening in the community? Yeah, we'll see about that. John Ayala, I hear you. You're the grandfather of an 11-year-old who was killed speaks out crime kids and delusion the lawless nature of shootings from city to city they're overwhelming any dialogue on race more and more are costing innocent children their lives we will run through the horrifying stats and how one mayor is blaming it all on the virus really the virus George, you might as well be blaming George Floyd. It has nothing to do with either of them. It has nothing to do with pent-up energy. It's an opportunity for people to show unrest while law enforcement pulls back. So we're seeing the coronavirus rise, and that definitely had everything to do with the fact that our economy got ground to a halt. We put ourselves into a recession because we were told by scientists it's the only way to fight the virus. So we fight it, we suppress it, we open up, and now we're getting in different hot spots in Texas, Florida, and Texas, Florida. In Arizona, especially, uh, the numbers begin to rise. In California, 23 counties have made some adjustments. But when it comes to violence, this is a five-alarm fire. When you see the amount of uh, killings in Atlanta, and it's easy to say, wow, those cops are crazy. It's just not the case. It's gotten so bad that Brian Kemp has declared a state of emergency. He sent in a 1,000 National Guards. Then you have an 11-year-old who gets shot. Ironically, sadly, their mom was running an anti-violence cookout. They went back to the 11-year-old to pick up his phone charger, and he gets caught in the crossfire in a park. Davon, who ends up uh, dying, was a football standout. He dreamed of going pro, struck in the head by a stray bullet. I mean, how do you explain that? 
How do, how do you adequately explain how that makes any sense whatsoever? That's not the coronavirus. Listen to his dad, Cut 8. We're protesting for months, uh, for weeks, saying Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. And Black Lives Matter, it seemed like only when a police officer shoot a black person. What about all the black-on-black crime that's happening in the community? I don't know. I, and I wish I had an answer to that because those numbers are overwhelming. And they, uh, and they just pulverize the amount of white officers who kill uh, black suspects. So get this. The mayor in New York believes that this is about the coronavirus, not his ridiculous policies on bail, his decision to empty uh, Rikers Island prison, the notorious prison, maybe 50 percent compassionate release because of the coronavirus. Nothing to do with that. He thinks he knows what it's about. He thinks it's all about uh, he thinks it's all about the coronavirus and not about his policies. Cut for from my point of view, the most central issue, what's happening over this last weekend, is the fact that the court system is not functioning. That when our police effectuate an arrest, they don't have the same follow through they're used to seeing from the court system. Obviously, with the warmer months, and as you're right, people were cooped up for all that time, they don't have the normal things to engage their life. We're seeing more and more challenges. I, I it's so angry. I get so angry listening to this clown. So Lucian Chaflin is a spokesperson for the state office of court administration, says, quote, when he saw the mayor said this, the mayor is blaming the courts for the recent spike in violence in New York City. It's absurd, patently false and ridiculous. The courts have operated continuously operating through the pandemic, arraigning defendants, holding hundreds of hearings and conferencing thousands of cases. He should look in the mirror and stop gazing out a window. They all should. All these mayors. They're weak. They blame law enforcement. And law enforcement has a say in this. And they don't have to take it. So listen to the mayor of Chicago. And I just got to tell you. I just ran across this stat. And it's not good. But I want to share it. So in New York. Uh, they had 89 shootings in 2019 in June. Now they had 205. An 130% increase. Uh, They also asked uh, New Yorker, they did a study on New Yorkers and what else they're dealing with in terms of crime. Auto theft increased uh, 51%. People murdered citywide increased 30%. 130% I told you increase in shootings. And when they talk about where this is all going, the thing that's new is kids. The kids are in the crossfire. At least six children, ages 6 to 14, killed during the 4th of July weekend. Don't tell me they had it coming. Don't tell me that's not horrific. In Portland, why they're getting a pass in Portland, I don't get it. Because Seattle got the scrutiny they deserve. And it's still chaotic. Portland protesters attacked police for the 40th straight day in some way, shape, or form. They were actually shooting fireworks at cops. The violent protest happened in downtown Portland, Oregon. Uh, they expected to continue through this week. 40 straight plus nights, uh, worst holiday weekend ever. They had commercial grade fireworks being shot at police officers and explosives. And they said they found machetes when they went to arrest a lot of these people. Machetes. Are you kidding? They're clueless on all this. Now, it's up to law enforcement to speak up, but I don't want to give Chicago a pass. 
Chicago has an interesting way of handling their violence, which has been overwhelming for 10 years. Barack Obama never did a thing about it. The president said, I'm going to send in the National Guard. He hasn't. He really needs a green light from the governor slash mayor. And listen to this Mayor Light, Lightfoot. What a train wreck she is. Cut one. President Trump is trying to execute on the 1968 strategy of Richard Nixon. And that is to make it seem as if the democratically controlled big cities are rapidly out of control and playing to the fears of a white suburban constituency, white rural constituency, to rally behind him as the law and order president. It's transparently political and, and candidly, it's laughable. What's laughable is your city is out of control. The police don't even go in anymore because you vilified them. Here's Superintendent David Brown on the horror, which is the killings over Fourth of July, the shootings that took place, and the children that lost their lives. Cut seven. We cannot allow this to be normalized in this city. We cannot get used to hearing about children being gunned down in Chicago every weekend. We must keep violent offenders in jail longer. We must. We should revamp the electronic monitoring program. It's clearly not working. (laughs) So where do we go from here? Kelly McEnany, she's done an outstanding job for the president. She took over as press secretary running daily press conferences. So the president didn't help his cause when he went after Bubba Wallace yesterday. And I understand a couple of questions on that. I do. But every question, every single question, when you had a weekend like this, hundreds of dead, the ridiculous review of the president's sensational speech on Friday and another one on Saturday. So she blistered back at the press. And tell me if you think this is out of bounds. I don't. Cut 14. You know, I was asked probably 12 questions about the Confederate flag. Uh, This president's focused on action. And I'm a little dismayed that I didn't receive one question on the deaths that we got in this country this weekend. I didn't receive one question about New York City shootings doubling for the third straight week and over the last seven days shootings skyrocket by 142%. Not one question. And it's just bad reporting. Doesn't anyone have the assignment of crime in America? And you need some point of view from the White House? Lastly, just to put it all in perspective, Bob Woodswood's a civil rights activist, was on Tucker last night. I'm trying to get him on here. Hopefully he'll do. he'll join us. African-American guy, he looks in his 60s or 70s, he's got his own institute. He looked at what's going on right now, and he says this, cut 16. But what we're fighting for is to give those dissident voices of these moms who are dying. and I mean, these children that are dying and losing children in these cities, Tucker. And and, uh, what we're trying to do at 1776 is give the voice to those. There are a lot of insurgent voices in the black community that are not getting recognized are not being heard, and we're trying to give them a voice so they can speak for themselves instead of being told yeah. by radical leftists that their biggest problem is racism. Thank you. one 408 I'm just as shocked that, Kyle, uh, that Colin Kaepernick gets a Disney deal on Netflix, development deal on Netflix, the day after he blisters the United States on the 4th of July. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'll be back with... Lee Zeldin in New York, talk about uh, what's going on with the reopening and a governor that's calling out a president and a mayor that has been called out by a governor, but a governor who refused to act. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Build a fallout shelter. You'll need it. Weakness invites the wolves. His domestic policy, he wants you, he wants all of us to surrender our money and our freedom, every bit of it, to Washington. If you want 52 weeks of vacation a year, vote for him because he's going to bankrupt your employer. Here's what he says to our young people. Finish school, get a job. And work hard so I, Vice President Biden, can give the money you earned to someone who didn't. And finally, I think he will viscerate our health care delivery system. I'm sure he will say, if you like your health care, you can keep it. But we've seen that movie before. So uh, Senator Kennedy's doing one of the few people just to look at what a Biden presidency would look like. Some people don't like President Trump. I get it. Uh, if you look at every media outlet, I understand it. It's been drilled in their heads, let alone their own opinion. But Joe Biden, if you are a, a cop, if you are the family of a cop, if there's some cop in your family, I don't know how you vote for Joe Biden. If you are in the energy industry, whether it's uh, natural gas, whether it's fracking, oil, uh, I don't know how you vote for Joe Biden. If you are somebody that is an entrepreneur, I don't know how you vote for Joe Biden. If you're somebody that does international business, I don't know how you vote for Joe Biden. So all these things in which people have been allowed to thrive over the last three years is at stake. And especially as you see these pipelines get rejected for environmental reasons and you realize it's natural gas, which burns clean, which Democrats used to like, but not anymore. Joining me now is uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin, ranking member of the subcommittee on oversight and investigation. Congressman, welcome back. It's good to be back with you, Brian. Congressman, it's a long time since I've talked to you. Now, all of a sudden, things are bent Long Island's way. Zero deaths over the last few days in your district. Yeah, it's fantastic to see the numbers where they are right now. Uh, Long Island is on pace in uh, actually tomorrow to be entering phase four of reopening. Uh, the governor made a, a change here a couple weeks ago. Phase four used to mean basically the rest of everything else was going to open. Uh, and then he created this bifurcated uh, system where phase four doesn't mean everybody. So uh, it's good that tomorrow we'll be getting a lot more reopen on Long Island, but uh, we, we don't have everything uh, reopening yet. And uh, hopefully that means that we'll have schools uh, reopening this fall. Uh, my daughters just started uh, their day camps uh, yesterday. Uh, we just need to get things back to normal as quickly as possible. Yeah, that would be great. I think the someone should tell uh, the governor that gyms need to be open. There's a lot of hardworking businessmen and women who are watching their livelihoods burn up. Gyms have reopened in other states, um, about 36 states. What's going on here? And 
And it's important for physical health, for mental, emotional health, for people to be able to exercise. Uh, there are all sorts of negative consequences for people's personal health if they are unable uh, to be able, uh, if they're unable to work out. So uh, that's one part. As you pointed out, you also have these hardworking small business owners who are they're bleeding dry. Uh, they they won't be able to survive. Otherwise, they need to reopen. And then there's a whole other element of it is that these owners have spent the last few months, morning, noon, and night, they're dreaming about ways that they can reopen safely, how they can, you know, where they can possibly, you know, spread certain equipment out, or if they have five treadmills, maybe, you know, there's a treadmill in between that they aren't turning on. They've they've spent 25 hours a day seemingly uh, trying to envision how to reopen safely. So that ends up leading to resentment and frustration on top of the economic loss. So I would say, you know, if you're entering phase four tomorrow on Long Island, for example, uh, let's get the gyms open again, especially with business owners who know how to do it uh, in a way that is safe. That would help. Uh, Here's the, here's the governor. Uh, talking about uh, what he he basically feels as though uh, President Trump is to blame. Cut 24. He makes up facts. He makes up science. He wants to deny the COVID virus. He has from day one. Uh, well, it's just like the flu. Well, it's going to be gone by Easter. It's going to get warm and then it's going to disappear like a miracle. He said all those things. None of them were true. And now we have a problem in 38 states. Because some people believed him. He won't wear a mask. Vice President Pence says wear a mask. All the health officials say wear the mask. He won't wear a mask. Because so he- what's, your, what's your feeling about this? This is the other side of Andrew Cuomo. I mean, it, this whole shutdown started where he was getting praise because he was effectively communicating credibly, and then it went downhill very quickly. His daily press conference turned into, uh, you know, a promo show for you know his, his brother's TV show, and it was just it went downhill. So, uh, and then obviously in the middle of all of that was the direction that was given to nursing homes requiring them. To, to take in patients and also preventing them from being able to test as to whether or not someone who's coming out of the hospital to a nursing home had even had coronavirus. So regardless of whether a nursing home had the ability to protect the rest of their residents, they were mandated to take in. We had several thousand uh, deaths as a consequence. Yeah. But, but, so. but he did an investigation. He exonerated himself. Congressman, thanks so much. Uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin. Making a huge difference uh, on Long Island, and hopefully we'll get those gyms open. Dana Perino next. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. What we heard tonight is a message uh, from the president that is just out of step uh, on, on the dual pandemics of both coronavirus and racism. So he spent more time uh, worried about uh, honoring dead Confederates than he did talking about the lives of our American, the 130,000 Americans who lost their lives to COVID-19. He had no time for that. He spent all his time talking about dead traitors. Dead traitors. Uh, not a word about Confederates unless you consider Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Martin Luther King, and Frederick Douglass traitors. Uh, joining me now is Dana Prino, getting set to host her show at 2 o'clock and again the 5 at 5 o'clock. Uh, Dana, welcome back. 
Thank you for having me. A lot of ground to cover, but first off, I was excited to see, I could not wait to get Hop back on the air after I saw that speech on Friday. And I saw the negativity afterwards, and I thought the president's going to get uh, wind at his back on this because it was really an excellent speech. And he's willing, and I think he's on the right side of history defending George Washington and company. But first off, on the speech, am I overselling it or do you feel the same way? I think it was great speech, yes. And, of course, you know, I grew up um, going to Mount Rushmore every year as a kid. It was my favorite thing to do um, because my grandparents' ranch was only about 80 miles west of there. So it's a special place for me. And I encourage every American, if you can, make it there. It usually requires a road trip, but those are fun as well and great for lasting memories. And one of the things that I always learned when I went there was – that yes, there was controversy, right? About um, our, there is controversy from our history, um, and you learn about all the feelings um, for the Native Americans that um, the the hurt, the hurt, and the anger and the grief, um, and how over time people have tried to make it right, maybe haven't necessarily gotten there, um, but it's a majestic place, and I think that the president also was giving a speech at a moment where everybody's just on a hair trigger. And we're in the middle of an election. I have a feeling, Brian, that if a lot of those people were given a copy of that speech and just on paper and they didn't know who had um, written it or given the speech, they probably would not have had negative reviews of it. Because, as you have pointed out, when you read the language, it's really pretty benign. I mean, it's it's like it could have been given by many different presidents in our past. Yeah, and I never thought that Mount Rushmore, there would be so much negativity written about it, but it was. I mean, I could not believe it. We actually had to have the attorney general on, who's an historian, to say, listen, yeah, the Sioux Indians had the mountain, but they took it from another tribe in a war and who took mm-hmm. it from another tribe prior to that. So mm-hmm. they had it for about 100 years at the same time. So they worked at a treaty. But that we're talking about 1880s. I just looked to study well, things like that. And- I didn't think we were going to relitigate it. Well, and also, you know, previous, like when President Obama went there, it was um, it was funny. You know, I remember back then his staffers also posted pictures of, uh, you know, Photoshop pictures of Obama being put up on Mount Rushmore as well. And now you have Trump doing it. But when Obama went, there wasn't this controversy. But of course, it wasn't. It, it could have been, but um, you know, they decided not to at the time. So I think a lot of Americans get like we know this is a hot political year. People are on a hair trigger to be offended. Um, but if they were given the speech just to read, right. I don't think they would have been offended. So there's a study out there that the Biden camp had an internal memo that magically got leaked out that said well, Trump's attacks on Biden are not working, essentially boomerang, make mm-hmm. him look bad because Biden's so well liked. On first mm-hmm. blush, does that sound reasonable, plausible? Well, I will tell you that I've been hearing this for a long time, and in particular, the attacks about him being, having dementia um, so, for example, the nickname Sleepy Joe, that actually might not be working well for seniors, right? And the president's numbers, choose to believe them or not. Um, but one of those things are, that attributed to that is that that is not going over well with them. Um, I do think that the sharper attacks where President Trump is drawing a distinction about his ability to, uh, to steward the economy back to where it was before the virus is a much stronger message for him than Biden's, you know, mental state. Everybody is going to be able to see for themselves what the mental state is like for both people when they debate three times in October. 
and probably before. So I think on that one, I think that 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 one particular one was not working. On the corruption one, remember back in January during impeachment, there was an attempt to, um, you know, and, and, and legitimate questions about Hunter Biden and a question of corruption. And I have not seen any sort of research on that as to whether that was not working as well. But I know that the Sleepy Joe one is not as effective as they might like. There was a study, out, there was a report out today that, uh, believe it or not, Hunter Biden still has 10% of that comp- that Chinese company. He's still getting 10% Amazing. of the revenue. Amazing, is right. Amazing. So uh, Amazing. a couple of things. So the president's got about 38% approval rating. It's probably higher, but not mm-hmm. much. Do you believe, uh, from what you know, from the people you talk to, he is trailing? Um, yeah, sure. And I think that, you know, I've asked Tim Murtaugh, uh, the communications director for President Trump, who I think is a fantastic communications um, director for a campaign. Um, He's so smooth and steady. I just I I, I admire him very much. And I've asked him the last couple of times he's been on the daily briefing. Do you given all of these numbers, do you think that President Trump is now the underdog in the race? And he always says no. But I actually think that President Trump should embrace it. Yep. Because he was the underdog before, and he ran as the outsider. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll show you again. That's how I think they should position it. But, I mean, it's I, whatever they want to do. I, I, I think if I were them, I would be saying, okay, fine, watch me so, and, and mount the comeback. Yeah, and that, so what he's got to do, if he closes the gap, it'll force Biden to actually do this thing called campaigning, and then we'll yep. find out <laughs> what he's got because we knew how I think the gap, he will, the gap will close. If there's no doubt because – Partisans always go, and I, and I don't say that in a derogatory way when I say partisans. I mean, people that typically vote Republican or typically vote Democrat, even if they're kind of on the fence right now, they almost always go to their respective corners in around October. So it's going to close for sure. It, this is going to be a tight race. There, it is, I don't think it will be a landslide. I'm going to talk to Jim Bessina of the former Obama team today on the Daily Briefing to ask him about Democrats being way overconfident, which is something I think he uh, thinks as well. Dana Prino, our guest, you obviously know her voice. So, Dana, uh, while I'm on the air yesterday, the tweet came out about Bubba Wallace. So Bubba Wallace essentially should apologize to everyone, to paraphrase, and to NASCAR. And we should never, you should never take, the NASCAR should never have taken the Confederate flag down. I don't, I mean, this is one of those befuddling ones. Am I missing something, or is that just a very bad tweet? As soon as I saw that tweet, I thought about your appearance last week on The Five when you were on with us, and you made these points about the president um, giving the um, remarks in the Rose Garden. Was it the Rose Garden or the White House, uh, the briefing room, about the economic numbers? And and starting to draw that contrast between him and Biden on the economy. And you said something like, that's the message he should be driving. So he gets through the weekend. On Monday, it's like it's a new day. Every day you get to fight another day. And what's the first thing that he decides to do is to bring up that controversy again and to have NASCAR write a statement like it did saying, um, basically rejecting what the president said. I, I would not have wanted to start the week off that way. If you want to win every week between now and November, you stick to your knitting, as they say. So the other big picture, and it's 100 percent right, and my my hope is he's going to be asked about it. But it killed Kaylee McEnany too. You probably you probably watched it. That every yeah. question, and it was basically 
Does anyone in that press room have an assignment on crime in America? Because they would, they would have asked that question about the children that were shot from the age of 6 to 14 over the weekend, I believe, 7 or 8. Uh, the cities that are running out of control. Who's to blame for this? Uh, will yep. the president call in the National Guard? None of those questions. It was all about that tweet, which is irresponsible. Having said that, Kaylee McEnany ended with, how could no one ask me about crime in America and the shootings? But the president kind of did that to her. All you have to do is give the press a little bit, and this this group anyway, and they're going to run with it. Everybody gets a choice every day of, of what they want to talk about. And when you have the White House um, and the bully pulpit and this amazing, new, relatively new technology of social media, and you get a choice of what you want to talk about every day. And if, if that's what they're going to serve up for – the White House to talk about or defend for a day, then they're just going to have to deal with it. Um, but, but I guess the good news for uh, Kaylee is that the news cycle moves so quickly. Yep. Right? It goes so fast. The bad news for uh, urban centers across America is that uh, you, when you're in the middle of a presidential election and you're in the middle of a, a violence, a pandemic, and economic strife, and what you really care about is the president's Twitter, that does show you where some priorities lie. So the, the, the president's got an opportunity here. He has got an opportunity to be the law and order president. But the question is, is this his report card? Are they going to say New York, Chicago, and Seattle got out of control on your watch? Or are they going to say, this is my report card, but this is not how I'm being graded. These are not people on my team. This is Democrat in Atlanta, Democrat in Chicago, Democrat in New York, Democrat in Seattle. See what you will get. Force Joe Biden answer. Are they going to say chaos under Trump? Well, I think that the American people will see right through any attempt to make this about Trump because um, the White House has offered help to all of these cities. You know, resources, what do you need? What can we send? How can we help you? And they all turn him down. They all don't want his help. So I don't think that the American people will blame him for that. I, I, really, I really don't. Now, they might, the Democrats might try to pin that on him, but I don't think it'll work. So listen to Mayor Lori Lightfoot, the one who's presiding over the destruction of Chicago. Cut one. President Trump is trying to execute on the 1968 strategy of Richard Nixon. And that is to make it seem as if the democratically controlled big cities are rapidly out of control and playing to the fears of a white suburban constituency, white rural constituency, to rally behind him as the law and order president. Atlanta's, it's transparently political. Atlanta's mayor, and, uh, uh, Mayor Bottom, same thing. We talk about systemic racism and the trauma and the anxiety and all these things that are happening in our communities. And it is this convergence. And, and I hate to use the word a perfect storm, but it's where we are in this country right now. And you think about the leadership or the lack thereof that we have coming from the highest office in the land. So do you understand their theme? Yes, and I think, you know, they have said similar things before. You know, one thing that the president has been willing to do, and partly because he's fairly non-ideological um, and willing to talk to anybody, listen to anybody, um, he has the power to convene. And 
you know, as I said, he has offered help, but what if he asked to meet with them? Maybe even go to them. What do you want? What would you like? What do you need? Now, they might say, we don't, we, we, we don't need your tweets. Um, maybe that would get to him. I, I, I don't know. I don't see how tweets are actually pulling any triggers, though. Um, I, but I do think that the president has the power to surprise, and he has the power to convene. And it might just be one of those things where you do something unexpected and surprising that changes the narrative for a while. Dana, last two is this coronavirus, and the president essentially says the tactic over the weekend they basically confirmed is we're gonna we're gonna say you got to learn to live with it. Basically, life is full of risks, as opposed to running around with a mask, refusing to leave your house. Which strategy you like better? Well, I think I understand what they mean by you're going to have to learn to live with it, but I think that that needs to come with some care and feeding and explanation. Um, if, if, if we talked about seniors and the numbers with seniors. They don't want the idea to be out there like, well, just learn to live with it, go outside and play, whatever. No big deal. That's, but I don't think that's what the White House meant. I think they meant we have to learn to figure out a way to deal with this because it is true. It is just a fact we are going to have to learn to live with it because we're not going to have a vaccine for, for several months, if not longer. Uh, we know that social distancing and wearing masks and washing hands works. But can we do all of that while we get back to work and while we get kids back to school? I think that that message, that message makes sense. But when they put out something like, uh, just learn to live with it, it's like, you guys, you just explain it a little bit more and bring people along because they have, they have the right idea, I think. I just need them to talk a little bit more fulsomely about it. Does that make sense? Right. I think the one thing that people, and I think a lot of the Bush people, I guess you know all of them, I don't really know any of them, are, have come together <laughs> to be uh, the, Bush, uh, the Bush supporters for Trump. I was Wait a minute, you said all the Biden. Bush people are on that? No, no, some of them. Some of them. Do oh. you know them? Uh, Bush supporters for Biden or for Trump? For Biden. I looked at the list, I recognized like three names out of 200. Okay, so they, they portray Joe Biden as center-left, moderate. There's no way a Biden presidency, in my opinion, would ever be close to moderate, judging by the people around him and the people would, who have elected him. Mm. Final thought? Yeah, so maybe mild in temperament, maybe. Um, that would be something that you could say, or moderate in temperament. Um, but also remember, Joe Biden wins the primary against the far-left progressives because African Americans like his stance. And, and they believe he's more moderate and not as progressive as the left. But still, where that center point is has already moved so far left with Biden embracing the Green New Deal and almost Medicare for all, like just slightly shy of that. He has gone far to the left and he continues to try to cater to um, that group because he's going to need them to turn out to vote for him because enthusiasm for Joe Biden, but voting for Joe Biden is really low. It's like 27 percent, whereas for President Trump, Republicans and yeah. Republican enthusiasm is at 52 percent. I think the enthusiasm for your show is through the roof. It starts at two o'clock, uh-huh. followed by the five <laughs> at five o'clock. Uh, Dana, who do you have on? Um, we are going to talk a lot about education today because President Trump and the first lady are holding an event at three o'clock to okay. try to discuss getting people back to school. So we'll be having Arnie Duncan, actually, from the Obama administration. And we have Andy McCarthy on to talk about violence across America. Dana Perino, thanks so much. I hope to see you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Back to wrap things up, Brian Kilmeade Show.
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, you know, vets always have a rich on their hands, but as, as this thing kind of tanked up, they were, of course, they were out in the workforce, they were losing their jobs. Uh, some of the uh, traditional sources of, of help that were dry, had dried up because of the lack of funds. The veterans are so, like I said, they're so proud. They just hate to ask anybody for anything. So when you get a request from a veteran, 99.9 times out of 100 times, it is something, it's desperation. It's not just, it's not just they're looking for a handout or something because they don't take handouts. And where do we go to? The and that is, is has a website, uh, Journey Home Foundation, Journey Home Project, rather, has a website. So if anybody would like to help out, uh, we would be very glad to have it. Uh, that is Charlie Daniels, his last appearance on the show just a few weeks ago, thejourneyhomeproject.org, and he has passed away at the age of 83 due to a stroke, not coronavirus. Uh, he said that how, um, you know, he was isolated. He never felt a threat by the coronavirus. He felt isolated on his ranch, and he was. He was right, but not from a stroke. Uh, Code of Vets. Uh, dot com is a group is one of his groups. The other one is the thejourneyhomeproject.org. If you want to have a tribute to Charlie's life, you give to those projects. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Go to briankilmead.com and you go to any one of my history books. Remember, keep history alive. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.